What is the first day of the last month of the year? It's the last month of the 20 teens. We'll be over. This is the last time we'll be able to say a teen in our year, unless you lived a long, long time. One of the blessings that we have in life is, is, is intentional times to slow down. When life seems to get incredibly busy, I think the blessing and wisdom of intentionally structuring our lives to slow down and make sure we don't miss the purpose of what we're enjoying in. Church, for hundreds and hundreds of years, it's at least five or six hundred, celebrated what's called Advent, where this time we celebrate, called, meaning the coming of the Lord, the coming of Christ. So this really begins the first for the high church year. This is the first Sunday to start off by looking forward to the coming of Christ, the one foreshadowed and spoken of beforehand in the Scriptures. So we likewise, we take our time this morning, in the next four weeks, we work our way toward the manger. Uh, many have called it a slow walk toward the manger, the coming of the one that was, is true hope, is true peace, true love, true joy in the person and work of, of Jesus Christ. In Isaiah, so the, first, the next four Sundays, we'll be spending time in what's called the servant songs. About 100 or so years ago, scholars began to call this the servant song texts of Isaiah. They're texts that specifically mention one that sounds a little bit like it could be Israel, but different than Israel, this perfect, holy one. So we're going to spend time in these four texts of Isaiah 42 this morning, Isaiah 49 next week, Isaiah 50 the following week, and then Isaiah 52 and 53 uh, the Sunday before Christmas. We'll spend time in that text. And, and then Roman will finish off this month by spending time on the first gospel, if you will, uh, what's spoken of in Genesis 3.15, this good news in, in the midst of, of sadness. And right after the fall takes place, just looking forward to the one that will come and crush the head of the serpent. That's what we have in the book of Isaiah. Many have called this book the fifth gospel. It's quoted uh, more than any book with exception of the Psalms. This time is taking place 300 years before Malachi, the book we just finished, 300 years beforehand. Israel, uh, the southern kingdom, Judah, has not yet been taken off into captivity. And as we go directly into our context of Isaiah, of Isaiah 42, as you open your Bibles, you'll notice Isaiah 41 spends a lot of time dealing with the idols of the nations, the idols of the nations, these things made with their hands. These false gods that cannot give true hope, true joy, true peace, true love. And a matter of fact, those that worship them, they look like them. They become blinded and, and dumb and enslaved to them. And yet the Lord will send the servant. So even though Israel is yet to be, Judah, the southern kingdom, is yet to be taken off in captivity, the Lord says, don't worry, I will strengthen you with my righteous right hand. You will preserve, you'll be preserved through this. There's still hope. And so in contrast to the idols, we have the servant, this servant of the Lord, this one that brings hope. In Malachi, we saw him called the messenger of the covenant. And now we have the servant of the Lord, the one that gives us true hope, true peace, true joy. Our hope in this series is that you will do the same. We'll do the same in our lives individually in our relationships, regardless of your age, that we would more adore Jesus. 
that we would see who He is in the Scriptures, the servant, that He's worthy of our lives, of our adoration, of beholding Him in all that we do. The servant is worthy of our lives. That's our prayer and hope in this season, this slow walk to the manger. So open your Bibles with me, if you haven't already, to Isaiah chapter 42. As we note that the Lord sings of, and then we'll see how He shifts around verse 5 in singing to the servant, this one that was for them yet future, 700 years later before the second person of the Trinity, the Son, would be sent to take on flesh and dwell among us. This great servant. So the Lord sings of His servants. This poetic writings don't know that He literally sings in that way, but it's written in a poetic fashion. So hint, the songs, the servant songs. What do we see about the servants in verse 1, the very beginning The Lord delights in His servant. As we discuss the silhouette of Isaiah, presents for us the silhouette of who the servant is. Who is this one that will come? We see His portrait painted for us. He is one that the Lord delights in. Verse 1, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. That is the message of Advent. Behold. Behold. Remember in the context, you have the nations captivated by the idols. We don't have idols sitting on the side of the street, but we all, if we don't worship the Lord Jesus Christ, we have idols that have captivated us. And the Lord gets done dealing with the nations that are captivated by idols, and He says what? Behold. A servant. So much better The idols can't tell the future, but the Lord gives them the future and telling the picture of the servant that will come. And He says this, Behold, all the attention shifts to the servant. Behold, stop looking at the idols and look to the servant. Tell us about Him. He is one in whom the chosen of the Lord that He upholds, and He is one in whom the Lord delights. My soul, the Lord's inmost being, delights in the servant to be deeply satisfied in. Think about this. This is the Creator of all the heavens and the earth. Yahweh, the Lord of all. And there's someone in whom He delights. The perfect being created all things from out of nothing. Sustains us in our every breath. Formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed life into Him. There's one in whom the Lord delights. Consider how wild that thought is. The perfect, all-sustaining being. There's someone in whom He delights. And if the Lord delights in Him, what should that mean for us? What a gift that He tells us who He delights in. The Holy One. And the nations are captivated by blind and dumb creations. And the Lord says, behold, the spotlight shifts to the servant. Attention shifting to the servant causes and ought to call those in the nations in Israel that's tempted to be captivated by the idols to stop and say, whoa, captivated, to delight in. The Lord delights in His servant. Now we delight in different things, and we don't mean this in a, just a personal subjective, I, I like this, you like that. So for example, let me give you an example of this. And all the sermons I've been able to give in the year and a half I've been here, I have never had more negative feedback than the day I spoke against yams. (laughs) 
somebody gave me a can of yams this week to mock me. <laughs> so, so I want to say formally, yams are not that bad. They're okay. Beets, however, are terrible. If you like beets, you got problems. So to delight in food, it's preferences, right? It's to say, oh, you like that, I like it, it's okay. But the Lord doesn't delight like that. It's an objective value statement. The servant reflects the Lord. He's the Holy One. The Lord delights in Him. And if He delights in Him, how much more should we as His creation, specially created the image of God, to, to worship Him and to know Him and to steward over creation in line with His design? How much more of a gift is it that we can delight in Him as well? How much more satisfied should we delight in Him than the things that we choose to delight in, the low things? The Lord says, stop delighting in the low things and delight rather in My servant in whom I delight. It's as though we're, we're eating dust. The nations and Israel's eating is tempted to, to begin snacking on dust and sock-filtered water. And the Lord says, look, at the most delicious of meat and the choicest of wine. Look, behold, here. Look here. Behold in whom the one He sustains, the one who, in whom He delights. What a gift that the Lord gives us to begin as we understand the silhouette of the servant. He is one in whom the Lord delights. What a gift for us. Lord, would You help us to delight in Him more so today than we did even yesterday. He's the one the Lord delights in and the Lord empowers His servant. We see in the very next line of verse 1, he is the one, the servant is one whom the Lord delights and the one in whom the Lord empowers. He says, I have put my spirit upon him. The Lord upholds his servant. He has put his spirit upon him. The Holy Spirit. In the Hebrew Scriptures in the Old Testament, we see the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit, doing a multitude of things working in a multitude of ways, and one of the ways that he acts consistently is to accomplish the purposes of the Lord, be it in creation uh, or, or be it in leading the people in the direction they're called to lead. We see this consistently in the life of Moses and the judges and others. And so what I'd like for you to do, though, is I'm going to read a few different texts. If you wouldn't mind, begin, go ahead and flip over to Matthew chapter 3, Matthew 3, 13 through 17. If you're in the Pewback Bible, that's page 808, and while you're flipping over there, we're going to land there, so I want to give you time to flip. I'm going to read a couple different passages as you work your way over there, and we give just this micro little survey of the Spirit. The Spirit's working in the Old Testament. So, the Spirit is the mode of the Lord's personal presence and action in empowering the leaders. So David, by Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, 13, says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brother's and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And we saw what happened with Saul when the Spirit departed him. In Numbers 11, we have Moses who has the Spirit resting upon him, and, and the Lord calls him to, to ultimately empower 70 different men of the elders of Israel. Let me read that, Numbers 11, 16-17. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for, for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting. And let them take their stand there with you. Verse 17, and I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the Spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. We see the Spirit likewise working in these special 
uh, design and giftings. The Spirit comes and gives special artistic craftsmanship. Uh, in Exodus 31, 1-6, we have uh, Bezalel and Anoliab. It says this, The Lord said to Moses, and talking about his tabernacle and, 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 and temple context later on, the Lord gives his special creative abilities to accomplish his dwelling there. The Lord says to Moses, See, I have called by my name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs to, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood uh, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Oliab, the son of Ahishimek. That's Hebrew. That was, just, that was actually me stuttering on his name, but we'll say it was Hebrew. Of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. And so the Spirit of God using these forming abilities to accomplish the purpose of the people that he has sent to accomplish a task. We see with Samson, Samson has unique power and strength. He rips a lion apart with his hands. So the Spirit playing these particular roles. So with that in mind of the role that the Spirit has played, we think of the servant. He's one in whom the Lord delights in is pleased in, and he's one in whom the Spirit abides, rests. So keep that in mind. Let's look then to Matthew 3, 13 through 17. And so we can imagine as this gospel would be being read right away, we'd see the account, and I think this servant language certainly intentionally would be popping in our mind, and in Matthew it comes up several different times. But see if this sounds familiar to you. Matthew 3, 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John, would have, uh, John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? So remember, we talked about that in the Malachi series, John the Baptist preparing the way, is this baptism of repentance, uh, of, of looking forward to the Messiah coming. And then he consented, or, but Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented in verse 16, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? Matthew, 2, Matthew 12, we won't read it, but in case we get lost as readers, we'll see again this text is explicitly mentioned from Isaiah 42. Scripture is true. Scriptures are true as we see the silhouette of the servant. Jesus fulfills all of these. Christianity is true. Jesus is the servant. He's the one prophesied of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years beforehand. He really is the one in whom the Lord delights. He's the one in whom His Spirit rests. He fulfills all righteousness. And we continue on in verse 1 through 4 back in Isaiah 42, and we see that his servant, the silhouette painted out, his servant will faithfully bring the Lord's justice to all the world. His servant will faithfully bring the Lord's justice to all the world. He's one in whom the Lord delights in, in whom his spirit rests, and one in whom the Lord's justice will be brought to all the world. Picking up at the end of verse 1 of Isaiah 42, he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. 
and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. That's twice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice three times in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. As we saw in the Malachi, the people experienced the heartache of living against the design and the will of the Lord. They had the gifts that the Lord had given them, but they had lived against the way of the Lord. They took the priesthood, they made it in their own image, and they experienced the heartache that came from it, of living outside the way, the law of the Lord. They experienced the heartache and the brokenness that came when they took marriage and they twisted it. And instead of living in the way the Lord designed, they manufactured it for their own pleasures. We saw all of these things in multiple different ways. And the consequences that happened for Israel that happened in our lives when we choose to live our lives by our own lordship or the worship of idols. We'll never be satisfied. We'll never have true hope, true peace, true joy, true love. But the servant is one that will bring true justice. The Hebrew word we've, you've probably heard before, misbat. It's this idea of total justice, not just just legal systems, but every component being just, meaning under the design and rule of Yahweh. Everything functioning the way it should function. Back to the garden, functioning the way before the fall, the way it ought to be under the reign and lordship of the Lord. Israel knew the hardship of doing life in their own way. And human history knows that, and we know that inside, and we see it outside. Brokenness everywhere, abounding. But the justice of the Lord will come by the servant. And when we long for justice apart from the servant, we will get a counterfeit justice. For only the Lord, only the servant can bring this true justice, but he will be successful in doing so. The servant doesn't give it his best shot. The servant will bring true justice. That's why this is such good news for us. The text says, a bruised reed he will not break, and, and, and a, fa a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged. He will not give up. He will accomplish exactly what he says he will accomplish not just to Israel, but to the coastlands at the end of verse 4. They wait for His law. If you have family members or friends, or you think to your life before you met Christ, you think about the heartache that you walked in of trying to do life by your own lordship. Life by your own way. For Israel in the context, life by the idols. The heartache and the brokenness that comes from trying to live outside of the design and the gift of the Lord, the way of the Lord, the law of the Lord. The coastlands long for the law of the Lord. And they groan because they do not know it. But in the servant, you can know it. In the servant, you can rest in the Lord. This is the good news that the servant brings true and perfect justice this becomes a confession of the early church. Jesus is Lord. Dr. John Oswald makes this point tremendously clear for us. Let me read it for you. He's a professor of Old Testament at Asbury Seminary. He says, It can hardly be coincidence that the first Christian creed was Jesus is Lord and that Jesus' command was that His disciples be witnesses of Him. It is through the servant that the lordship of God will be made effectively available to everyone. The call that we give is Jesus is Lord. 
It's a confession we make as a church family and our congregational prayers as well, but it's a confession only you can make for yourself. Do I believe Jesus is the Lord? Do I confess Jesus is Lord? And to confess Jesus is Lord is, is to say it with our lips, but it's desire to abide in Him and abide in that confession with our lives. You can think of your own life and I can think of mine. Through the week and the areas where I choose not to live under His Lordship, a decision happens and I make it under my own Lordship rather than the Lordship of the Lord, I will experience the consequences of that. Every marriage that makes decisions outside the Lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ is justice, the servant. You'll experience the consequences that will come from that. The groaning, the heartache, the longing for His law, for His gospel, for His way. But Advent is good news for the coming of the Christ, the coming of the servant. In Him we have justice. In Him we have forgiveness. If you have friends or family that, that don't know the way of the servant, you have to watch and see them as they choose to try to live by the, the best of man's designs. And the best of man's designs will never accomplish true justice. That which only the servant will do. The good news is that it, it's justice comes and is coming and will come perfectly. So by God's grace, when we see others, let us not say, you're fools, but let us also say, behold, for I'm a fool myself, but behold, in the servant we have justice. In the servant we can delight, and in the servant His Spirit rests. So the Lord sings of His servant, and in verse 5, He sings to His servant. The Lord shifts attention, and we get to be flies on the wall as... The Lord speaks to the Lord. He speaks to His servant. In verse 5-7, through seven, we note that He gives His servant as a worldwide covenant, light, and freedom. Brings blessing to Israel that has ramifications for all the earth. The servant comes and brings light to the nations and freedom to the captives. Verse 5. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth, what comes from it and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. Here we go, verse 6. I am the Lord, he says to the servant, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. The Creator of all things, He speaks to the servant. He says, I am Yahweh. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand. I will give you as a covenant for the people. A covenant is cut. The servant will live, He's telling him, not by his own strength and not by his own will, but he will live and feed on the Word of the Lord. He will live to accomplish the Word of the Lord, the way of the Lord. That's what the servant will do. In John chapter 6, in John chapter 6, verse 35-40, through 40, listen to what Jesus says about this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. Listen to this. 
all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. That's exactly what the Lord says to the servant. I will send you. You will do my will. Verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Our hope. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Do you believe in the Son? Do you believe in the servant? Have you trusted the servant? If you do, you have eternal life. You'll be raised up on the last day, and we celebrate and we take hope in this season. True hope, true joy, true peace, true love. But if you do not know Him, believe in Him. Trust yourself to Him. For if you do not, you are left like the nations staring at the idols that are mute. The true covenant. A covenant that will bring forth light to the nations. The parallel line points this out. A light for the nations. The servant is a light for the nations. As we worship Christ here in East Texas, And in this context, we will worship a little differently perhaps than they will in Central America as believers gather together this morning for worship or in Russia as they gather together for worship the Lord. The language will sound a little different. Music may sound a little different. But we're marked in the same. We're marked as a people in the light. We're a light-based people. A people called out of darkness into His marvelous light. And the light makes us begin to look very similar in that we're longing for the servant. We're longing for holiness. The light lights our way. The dark areas of our life are enlightened. It's not just that Jesus helps us to see better, but He he gives us sight. He brings the death to life. That's the good news is, is we may look a little different, but we are at our core a people of the light. Not defined simply by nationality or interest or hobbies, but we are a people defined by the light. Do you know the light? Do you know the servant? And if you know the servant, if you know the light, you have life. What a sweet gift the Lord has given us. As you give gifts, remind people of the light. As you light a Christmas tree, remind people of the light that the Lord gives us. A light for the nations. The servant brings the covenant that is a light and he brings forth true freedom. A light to the nations to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. We are either servants of the Lord or we are servants of sin. That's it. We are servants of the Lord Servants of the servant, or we are servants of sin and self and death. And the servant came to bring light and life and freedom. And we don't have time to read it, but this is your homework assignment for the final on the 15th. Romans 6. Read Romans 6. He brings freedom, the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness, he brings light 
The servant is our covenant. He's our hope. He's the one we look to. He's the one we behold. He's the one we delight in. That's the joy. That's the good news of our life. And so to live under the lordship of Jesus, the service of Jesus, and to say, all of my life is, is ever at your hands. Tweak me, turn me, shape me. Ever under your lordship and your rule. Set me free from these things I still want to struggle on, the things I still want to go back into the prison and, and get in and enjoy. No, set me free. Show me the true and better delight in the servant. What a gift that the Lord gives us. He gives us true hope. The nations were bound by idolatry and hopelessness, and He gives them true hope in the servant. That's the gift of Christmas. He gives the servant as a covenant with implications for the world, bringing light and freedom. And, and finally, in verses 8 and 9, He gives His glory to no created thing. The Lord gives His glory to no created thing. So as we read verse 8 and 9, and we see this, that God gives His glory to no created thing, and we'll look to Jesus, and we'll see that Jesus will receive glory. Jesus will receive worship. What do we put together? Jesus is not a created thing. Jesus is the eternal Son who's taken on flesh. But I get ahead of myself. Let's read verse 8 and 9. I should read it before I try to preach it. Verse 8 and 9. I am the Lord that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Now, turn in your Bibles to, to John 17. 1 through 4. The Gospel of John will begin this next month at the turn of the new year. We'll be walking through the Gospel of John from 2020 to 2030. Very excited about that. That's not true. It'll be like 2025. That's probably not true either. But we will be starting the Gospel of John in 2020. That part we can say with confidence. In the Gospel of John, we come to John 17 and we have this high priestly prayer. Do you know Jesus prayed for you? Do you know that? about that Jesus 2,000 years ago prayed for you believer he prayed for you he intercedes for you at the right hand of the father on high but Jesus prayed specifically for you in John chapter 17 listen to what Jesus says when angels are worshipped they get terrified they don't receive worship. When Thomas sees Jesus, he says, my Lord and my God. See, God shares his glory with no other but the servant, Jesus. He had glory before the world was ever created. John 17, verse 1 through 5. Listen to Jesus' prayer, this component of it. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given Him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The servant is no created being. 
The servant is the eternal son who's taken on the fullness of man. The God-man, fully God, fully man. The Lord shares His glory with no other. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the eternally begotten, one of a kind, Son of God, is worthy of our lives. It is His coming that we celebrate in this season. So when we say, Behold, the one in whom the Lord delights, it leads us as believers. Before we go to our next steps, listen, it leads us as believers to embrace the understanding and the mindset that says, Behold, as a believer, you look at your life to others and our lives to others are to say, Behold, not look at me, but look in Christ in me. Look what Christ is doing in my life by the Spirit. Look what's taking forth in my life, that He would take me, one dead in sin, enslaved to sin, that He would give me hope and forgiveness and adoption in the Lord Jesus Christ. That He would make us proclaimers of Him, from worshipers of idols to worshipers of the servant. The gift that the Lord gives us in Jesus Christ is abundant and eternal life. That's the sweet joy of Christmas. Behold Him. That's the gift that the Lord gives us in a local church body to remind each other to behold Him. Delight in Him. For He is our hope, our love, our joy, and our peace. That's good news. Amen? Next steps. Next steps. Question one. When was the last time I simply sat and delighted in thinking about Jesus, the servant in whom the Lord delights? When was the last time you, you took, you just get away by yourself and just adore the Lord? To just adore Him. To think about Him. To praise Him. To speak to Him. To rest in Him. To delight in Him. Functionally, this is a question, if you're, if you're married, this is a great question to ask. To find time, schedule intentional time to say, and bring the Lord into the conversation. Jesus, how can we better delight in You? We want to delight in You in our marriage. How can we better just delight in We just want to adore You in our marriage. How can we do that? But if you're, if you're single in your home, you think of your resources the Lord's given you, how can I adore You in this? If you're a student... Jesus, how can I adore you in these last two weeks, three weeks as a missionary you've given me here in these classes? How can I adore you in this? And schedule time to just delight in Him this week. And secondly, how sweet is it to know that God will make all things right? He will make all things right. His justice will be seen to the coast, from coast to coast. How does this promise from God minister to you this morning as you experience the heartache in this world, internally and outside of you, to know that the Lord will make all things right. What peace, what hope, what love, what joy we have in the servant. Will you stand with me as we adore Him in song together?